Welcome back to the Replatform podcast. Uh, today it's just uh, myself, James Gerd. Uh, my co-host Paul is off doing exciting things somewhere else. Um, got another fun episode for you today. So we are talking about um, checkout optimization, basically, and improving checkouts through better data validation and optimization. Uh, you know, more people are shopping online than ever. There's the underlying shift of digital was already strong and growing, but the pandemic has accelerated rapidly. We all know that. And that volume increase basically creates additional challenges for retailers. More people are going online, more people are spending time buying, customer demands are going up, the way people use uh, um, uh, websites and their demands on checkouts are increasing. And that's leading to, to greater focus and emphasis on having the best possible user experience. And if you get your checkout process flow wrong, then obviously that can impact your revenue and your conversion rate. I think the latest cart and checkout abandonment says there's you know, anything up to 70% loss in sales on average, and that's based on 41 studies between 2012 to 2020. So, it, you know, losing revenue is a reality for most businesses. The question is, how do you minimise that loss? Because some loss is just inevitable. So today we're talking to the specialists. We're talking to the team at Locate who provide a range of technology services uh, to e-commerce teams to improve things like data capture and validation of checkout. So welcome to the podcast, Matt Fennell, who's the Global Commercial Director at Locate. Good afternoon, James. Thank you for having us. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much for tuning in. Um, so yeah, before I start asking you annoying questions, there'll be a lot of people who've come across Locate, or some will be using it, and others who might not know what you do. So could you give us the kind of now, the elevator pitch on you know, what, who you are and what you do and what is Locate. How do you position yourselves? Yeah, so if I speak in front of a room full of people and say, hands up, who's heard of Locate? You might get one or two if it's retailers. Um, if I ask a room full of people, have you checked out online recently where rather than fill in seven or eight uh, fields of address data, you were just given a simple little field and you started typing your address and magically yours appeared from a shortlist and you clicked on it and you thought, wow, that saved me loads of time. And I know they've got my accurate address. That's broadly what Locate does, amongst some other things, which we might get into. Uh, and we do that for about 15,000 customers, uh, largely in the UK, Western Europe, North America, and uh, a little bit of Asia. Uh, and about 60% of those customers would be uh, directly retail e-commerce. Fantastic. And, and um, so what's your role specifically at Locate? Where do you fit into the picture? So I work with the leadership team across the Locate uh, global business to do a couple of things, really, to, to work on, on strategy and how we innovate uh, for our customers. Um, I've got the dubious uh, honour of having probably worked in this particular space for the longest. So for about 25 years, I've worked with address and location data and, and, and technology that can be used to, to help organisations use location data. So probably if I track back to when I came into this um, market, it was largely using address verification software, right, to, to clean up addresses for mass mailing, catalogs, bank statements, all of that, you know, the billions of pieces of surface mail that used to get pumped out in the 80s and 90s. And kind of tracking forward to where we are today, obviously, there's been a, an enormous reduction in, in surface mail volumes, but then that, you know, incredible increase in, in parcel delivery driven by, by online shopping and e-commerce. So partially, I've got that long view. Um, it's an area that actually I find really interesting because I think it really helps to create great customer experiences and downstream benefits to, to organizations. So yeah, strategy, innovation, a bit of the long view. And, I, and inevitably, I, I get to spend a lot of time with our uh, retail customers and then working with uh, external parties to talk about you know, what's going on in the industry and how we can all learn from each other. 
Fantastic. Yeah, I love it because these elements often feel like the unglamorous side of, of e-commerce, but they're so critical because data accuracy has a massive impact, not just in terms of conversion and revenue, but customer satisfaction as well. Uh, and, and helping uh, customer service teams not have to deal with constant inquiries. Um, brilliant. So that's good position. The key thing we want to focus in today is, is you know, you work across such a wide range of businesses. There's so many data points. You've got a massive amount of learning and insight in the market. Um, and we're going to distill some of that for everybody listening today. So hopefully you're going to get a lot of really good practical takeaways. So, Matt, are you ready for some annoying questions? Bring it on. Wonderful. You may regret saying that later. <laughs> so let's start. Let's start at the beginning. Actually, you've recently released a report on the future of digital checkout. I've had a good read through um, the top level highlights. It's very interesting. What I'd love you to do is pick out for the people listening today. What are some of the like too late didn't read it um, highlights that takeaway learning like you know things around why people give up and checkouts and what people can apply from this? Yeah, I mean, firstly, it's probably quite a. a I was about to say a sort of a pompous title, but to think that you could. Put into a single report the future of the digital checkout is quite a big undertaking. Um, we've seen some some similar reports come out from, I think Klarna had a similar report come out uh, last week, IMRG the same. It's always quite interesting to see what the trends are that emerge across multiple reports, right? And I'm sure you do that and, and, and many of your listeners will do that type of research as well. But what we saw from our piece of research this time around were a couple of things that stood out to me. Well, let me start with one that didn't particularly surprise me, which was reliance upon uh, e-commerce and online shopping compared to before the beginning of COVID. Uh, our report showed 72% of respondents said that they were more reliant upon online shopping than they were before uh, the pandemic. Uh, if I'm honest, I thought that might be a bit higher, but still, you know, almost three quarters of shoppers yep. were saying that that reliance was something that was quite meaningful and real in their lives. And, and then we kind of got into the detail of, of what it was that was kind of encouraging uh, shoppers to get right the way through to the point where they completed the checkout and what was holding them back. And some really clear um, uh, kind of offenders emerged, probably the, the, the worst of which was kind of hidden costs at the point of checkout. And I don't think we're necessarily that's, that's brand new information, but it's still something that I think almost 60 percent of respondents said was a reason why they would just give up on the transaction. They get all the way through, they think they know what they're in for, and then suddenly there's some, some shipping costs or some other form of cost that was hit to them or they didn't see earlier in the process. Yeah, tax and duties has really come back to the fore on that. You're right, I mean, because that's been a common one over the years, and you've worked in the industry for a long time, haven't you, um, to uh, look at the data on this. But yeah, the tax and duty bit, especially with things like Brexit and now adding additional costs, a few retailers I know have, have had a lot of customer complaints as a result of this. Yeah, and of course, some retailers have, have got a slicker um, process of dealing with those costs and making sure that they're baked in uh, to what the, what the shopper is seeing earlier in the journey. For those that are maybe, and, and there may be no malice intended, but some brands just haven't quite yet got that system of ensuring those costs are visible early enough. And I think what we took away from the narrative of the report was the more you can you know, even if there was no attempt to, to deceive, the more you can get those costs earlier in, in the shopping journey, the more likely uh, your customer is to, to, to either accept or decline that cost implication early on. And if they're happy with it at the point of checkout, far less likely to, to abandon the checkout on the basis of that in particular. Yeah. And then sort of coming down the list of priorities, we, we, we saw a number of things that would be you know, fairly commonly associated with, um, with checkout abandonment. Uh, you know, being forced to, to to register for an account is is a perennial, and I'm sure you've got lots to say on that. But you know, none of us like it. Where even if you can 
go out as a guest, but you just can't quite find the button that gives you guest checkout. If it appears at least that you're being forced to register and you don't want to, um, I think mid 40% of, of respondents would would just give up at that point. And then in third place, and, and perhaps not surprising and, and a bit more in our, our lane, was the, the, the effort required to complete personal information at checkout. So just the basics, you know, your name, your address, and, and address is always skewed as being a common offender where you've got multiple address fields. Most of us in our online experience now have, have, have visited websites that have got more simplified ways of capturing an address. When we, when we see brands that haven't adopted that, I think your heart sinks a little bit. And, and because we expect things to be just simple and easy and convenient online now, where we're being made to do more of the work, I think human nature is now we've been conditioned to just to go, nope, I don't want to do any of the work. You, you should help me with that. Uh, and therefore, I think something like 30% of shoppers would say they, they just give up at that point and go elsewhere. It's interesting because I saw some psychology research last year saying that they're measuring attention spans and the attention span online has shrunk by a second in, in over like in the last three to five years. So you're right. It is we, we are inherently lazy. Uh, and also we know that our expectations are set because most most businesses, especially the big brands that people shop from off like Amazon, have implemented the technology to enable people to do things smoothly and quickly. Therefore, the expectation is set. I think you're absolutely right. And I think with consumer electronics as well. So, you know, whether you're wearing something like that, you obviously all of us have got our phones with us. We know that those devices know exactly where we are all the time. Um, and if we're getting a taxi or we're ordering some other item that can be to the to the location that we're in, we're confident that those devices can be the determiner of that location. So suddenly we get to a checkout and there are some big brands still that force you to type everything in longhand, which is obviously our mission in the world is to reduce that that list. Um, it, it's it's a hassle. We don't expect to have to do that type of work at checkout. And it has a direct knock-on to the number of checkouts that complete successfully. I, it's, it's one of those low-hanging fruit things, which you, you could knock that one off pr- pretty simply. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. I think that's the whole point, isn't it? And that's, that's the aim of today's episode is to is to share insights around f- reducing friction. Because no checkout will ever be 100% friction free, but reducing it and minimising it. So that one of the points you made about um, the hassle, basically, and effort to input things and accuracy of, of data that's going in. So let's probe into that. What are the key challenges that that you, that, that Locate sees retailers facing with things like data verification and validation in the checkout. Yeah, so you you obviously want to capture the the the, the right information which is appropriate to the transaction. You know, I think the days of too much personal data being captured that was not necessary for that particular transactional purchase. Hopefully, we're moving uh, into a more kind of privacy led world where you're just capturing what what you need. There's a couple of things when it comes to the, the the type of data that you might ordinarily just expect to give. So you you know you probably have to give your name, um, and you'll probably have to give an address if it's for delivery. Um, the 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 additional pieces of information that might hang around that obviously could be for payments, and therefore the type of data that that needs to be captured uh, may not just be to to affect a successful delivery, but also to ensure that your data can be matched against your. Your, your credit card merchant's data so that you get, you know, a smooth checkout experience through the payment process as well. So there's a couple of things which are, are commonly observed at the point of checkout. If you're pushing customers down the longhand approach, then 
you, you're inevitably going to introduce um, errors because we're all used to the internet now is so forgiving, right? I can more I can type in absolute garbage half the time, and the internet goes, "Yeah, that's all right. And I know what you meant." And you, <laughs> so we become really, really lazy about accurate data input, and if, you know, go as far as having sort of ambient devices in our homes, whether it's Alexa or Google, and we can kind of just mutter something, and it just magically uses all of its AI to work out what we what we meant. So we're becoming as humans far far worse entering accurate data into anything online and if, even as something as basic as a piece of information that we ought to know um our address if we're normally disabled to enter that within three or four keystrokes using autocomplete and then we're forced to do it longhand you know do we put in our current postcode our last postcode i, I lived in bristol for many years and we lived at two different properties over a number of years uh, which just around the corner from each other so when we moved house obviously i could generally remember the address that we moved to that's good um, but our postcode was only one digit different so the number of times I gave my new address to my old postcode and I worked in this this industry did it dozens of times so as humans we're, we're fallible and we tend to introduce errors into a process and of course a simple error can lead to take John Lewis's example I think John Lewis have got a really good checkout experience and before you choose um payment methods or any of the other checkout options they always get you to stick an address in because then they look at what are your you know inventory options where can you pick up in a waitrose or in a john lewis yeah. how long would it take to get to you if it was delivered so really good practice of, of making that process easier and getting good quality data in earlier in the journey rather than later because if you get inaccurate data particularly around location you miss out on those opportunities to do that inventory and, and delivery options um sort of presentation if, if you check out with poor quality data you've now got downstream issues that you'd really rather not have you might get a failed delivery or multiple drop attempts all things that are stripping out profit yeah. from the transaction and possibly worse actually just getting an unhappy customer um and you just may just choose to shop elsewhere unless they're particularly wedded to your brand so long answer to a short question there's just kind of a whole host of reasons why having poor quality data verification at the checkout just gives you headaches as a retailer you just really rather would not have yeah exactly uh actually there, there's a, a related question i'll come back to later which is about common data errors um and how tools like locate can help auto fix them so we'll park that for now but what i'd love to hear because obviously you guys work with a wide range of retailers you take people who don't have automation tools and you add it in or you replace an existing one. I'd love to know from the data you've looked at, what impact um, do like validation errors have on people's conversion and you know, checkout performance? So conversion is always a, a, an interesting one. Um, we, we get anecdotal feedback from our customers as to conversion uplift and, uh, in, in, in having um, autocomplete address capture. And, and that varies wildly from very low um, to, 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 to very high, depending on the type of customer. Uh, on the basis that the, it's interesting, research Stripe uh, published their own report on the checkout a couple of weeks ago. They looked at, I think, 400 leading e-commerce brands across um, eight European countries. Uh, they concluded that about 1% uplift in conversion was what you got from having address capture technology at the checkout. And, and if you're a high volume retailer, you take that, wouldn't you? One <laughs> percent all day long, just something relatively simple, and that I think gives you an indication as to the the the, the risks of of making the checkout complex and the benefits of, of simplifying 
those, those, those kind of crucial elements that when you get to the end of the process, you might be reaching kind of the, the end of your, I'll use the word patience in terms of your time on that site. You've done the fun bit. Now you're at the business end. And that that's the bit that we see shoppers tell us over and over again just needs to be compressed to the point where it's convenient. And, and we might come back to this later on, but it kind of then nebulously goes out into this other world of kind of good and bad friction and at the point of a journey where it seems appropriate to speed things up and other points of the shopping journey where you, you perhaps want to just slow things down again so there's, there's some quite interesting kind of nuanced areas emerging yeah exactly when it comes back to that point you made about guest checkout and i'm with you on that is and i've seen it on enough sites where forced registration has had a significant double digit decrement on on um uh, checkout completion and simply by opening up a guest checkout option which, and then the only difference is a password field that is it but it's the it's the emotional connection people have of registering versus guest checkout in and, and brands like MS do it really nicely where the order confirmation page is just a password field of why don't you why don't you set up your account now and get all these benefits just add a password it's so it's so effortless to do that rather than register now to place your order yeah, and actually, you know, Apple as an example, others may may do it, but I'm on an Apple ecosystem. The the just the, the ability to click choose a strong password, um, you can they've sort of solved that that dilemma on behalf of the retailers, I think, in many ways. Because I know if I select that choose a strong password, I'm never gonna remember it because it's 80 characters long and it's gibberish, but it gets bedded down into my password protection across all of my Apple estate, and then I'll be able to use that again on different devices with the same retailers. So I think you're onto something there that it's 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 something that tends to put a lot of us off. I think actually, you know, the apples of this world have probably come up with quite a neat way of working around that. But still, people tell us they don't like it. Um, and it, it is generating abandonment of checkout in, in pretty significant levels. Um, let's talk about international, because I know that you work across a large number of countries for, for the um, uh validation verification stuff one of the one of the classic comments i've heard over the years people say oh yeah but postcode lookup tools don't work in all countries they don't handle all address we've got you know we work in to live to 30 different countries i'd love to for first first bit is what are some of the additional challenges that you know retailers face with international checkouts and data validation and then the second part will be where does locate work in this area so what what are the tools that you have and how far globally do you extend yeah, brilliant. Um, I, I think that's, that's a great way of breaking the question down as, as well. So what are some of the kind of issues and challenges? E even now, although not as much as it used to be, you and I have probably gone on to a site and attempted to check out and the address format you're presented with was a US address format, if it was a US um, business. And, you know, the classic example of having to select a US state from a drop down. Uh, and I did see one of those recently, but it's it's far less common. But that's kind of the journey we've come on is a, 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 an organisation from its kind of home territory, just kind of assuming, and the British are probably worse at this than, than anybody, assuming that the rest of the world kind of looks a little bit like how, how we see things. I think English speaking countries are the worst. Of it than, but you're right, actually, I was on a site the other day and, and I wanted to deliver to the UK and I knew they did because they advertised it. But it was all US zips. And I said, I don't get it. There was one hit in the bottom, which was non-US was the entry. And you had to select that to enable you to then select. I was like, oh, bloody hell. Why have you made this? It's like, find the clue. Which doesn't feel very sort of welcoming, does it? If you're, if you're shopping from a, a location which is 
perhaps some way away from where that brand is operating or, or, or natively operates, then it doesn't feel great. So you've got kind of that the issue. How do you how do you design the checkout so that it looks familiar and welcoming to um, somebody from a, any particular location? And you've got a couple of ways of doing that. You could have dynamic um, page builds so that if it you know you can see that that shopper is from a particular country, it can default to a, a set of field um, designs. But what if you're gifting? You know, if I'm buying something for a relative that lives abroad, I might have the address because they've given it to me. But would I know how to enter that? Would I know where the, the house number yes. sat in relation to the street name? You know, where the postcode goes in relation to the city? All these things that um, people other than myself, who spent the last quarter of a century staring at addresses, most of us don't know about this stuff. So there are things you can do practically. Um, I say one is, is sort of a dynamic approach to once you've selected the country, it's going to you know, make it easy to, to, to see which fields to, to fill in. And our approach, and, and it, it's our approach, is that to, to ensure that that single line search approach works for everywhere. So that when you start typing in whatever order, you just naturally would type an address, either because you know the format for that country, or you're typing it in the wrong format, but that's a predictable string type, then locate in our case is, is doing the hard work behind the scenes. It's, it's kind of parsing in real time. It's saying, well, here's something that looks like a house number. Here's something that looks like a street. Actually, it should be like that, but that's fine. We can sort of that for you and just making it really, really simple for somebody who wouldn't naturally have that level of local yeah. knowledge. Because you, you're right. And your question alluded to the fact there are, I think there's 130 different postal formats worldwide. There are you know, dozens of languages that are used. And in most places, you don't have anything resembling what you'd see in the UK, you know, with a very tight relationship between a postcode and a house number, uh, or what you see in the US with a five-digit zip and, 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 and a premise number and so on. But that isn't to say that people don't live places, right? It, it's, it's a common misconception that poor quality addressing data is because people don't have an address. Of course they do. Um, it's just that, that available reference data might not be as yeah. complete uh, as you'd like. And there's a whole bunch of things that we're doing in our kind of innovation labs around how to, to deal with some of these harder to address places. But that, that's what we that's what we do every day. That's why it stays fun. And uh, I'd love to get some some client case study examples and whether that can be anonymised if it needs to be. But how, how are people using that case to reduce errors? What are some of the key things that they've done? So what was the problem and what was the, the resolution? So, yeah, the common problems that we learn about when we first engage with with, with any retailer is uh, either they, they're, they're experiencing poor levels of conversion and that's costing them money before they've even sold anything, uh, or they're uh, just experiencing uh, a higher level of, of failed deliveries than they, uh, that they, they can accept or they can cope with. So that, that would probably be either both of those or one of those two factors would be the case with, with almost every interaction that we have with a retailer. And depending on where they're shipping to, depends how big that problem is, right? So, you know, if you're if you're shipping into a market where, so the US, for instance, if you're using USPS and you send a parcel out through USPS and they can't deliver because the address is wrong, the cost back to the retailer is somewhere between, because someone showed me this last week, so between $18 and $90, between $18. You'd rather it be $18, but there are circumstances where it can go up to $90. So you've got to be delivering or having sold something relatively high value to, to absorb that cost. And that's just if the address is incorrect. Yeah. So those, those issues around the, the cost of failed delivery, uh, it, it, 
is a typical thing that we we, we experience with with our customers. But equally, late deliveries impact customer experience and customer loyalty. And actually, the, often the bigger the brand, they, they may well have have a line item in their accounts that says we can we can kind of stomach you know, this much failed delivery cost. But if a customer has a poor experience and then their sentiment towards your brand is such that the last time I shopped with you, it came late, it missed a, a you know a, a celebration or, or, or a gifting opportunity. I'm just not going to shop with you again. Some of those soft costs are harder to quantify, but they're the ones that we see increasingly are, are motivating retailers to, 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 to fix those problems. Because a lost customer, obviously, as you know better than I do, is, is a harder customer to get back as opposed to one that you can retain through even you know modest kind of customer experience. If it's poor, yeah, very hard to get them back. Yeah, I also think it's the it's where do you want your business to spend its time? Do you want it to spend its time fixing issues and recovering unhappy customers to turn them into happy customers? Or do you want them being proactive and doing enjoyable things like adding value to already um, yeah, uh, um, good customers of yours? And the more you can take away those errors, the less you have to just scramble to fix them, right? Which is it's not what a customer service team wants to do is firefight all day long. No, they don't. And, and going back to something we talked about earlier on, I think many of us have a, an expectation of near perfection online. And, and that's been created by all sorts of, of, of services that we use. You know, even Google search, my example of typing in you know, barely legible scroll, and Google just goes, yeah, I know what you meant. Um, and, and you know, Amazon obviously done a great job with that as well. And a lot of AI sat beneath all this, which is clearing up our human imperfections in real time. And I think then we take that to all of our other online experiences, yeah. even to brands that we might like, and just expect that perfection. And um, um, where we're the course of the imperfection, we kind of still expect that the, the, the site's going to just remedy some of those difficulties. And I think that they're the sort of the, the sort of the human issues that retailers are having to think long and hard about uh, about how to take that that yeah. belief that everything will be perfect, even in cases where it clearly won't be. And I, I was I was placing an order the other day for a jumper for my wife on a. A really well-known um, fashion brand site. I'm not going to name because I don't believe in name shaving. Um, and, and I was really surprised. I got to the checkout and I got to the the, the address forms, and it was just this really long form. I, it was looking like looking back five years into the past of checkout forms, and I had to redo the address for billing from delivery instead of having the default. And typically, you see now people streamline. They go, okay, we want to take, we want to get your billing the details first. And get your payment stuff and then is your delivery different so there's different ways people do it but that fundamental inability to use just modern techniques to to minimize inputs and make it simpler for customers still surprise you're right you mentioned it before a lot of big sites still have some basic issues in there which is interesting um which leads me on to my next question um common errors that cause um that cause frustration customer experience issues so i'll give you a couple i'd love to hear from your point of view what do you most what do you normally find and what and how have you solved it within locates tooling so good example is i'm entering a postcode and it returns an error and it says make sure you add a space which is crazy um yeah my postcode sl5 da, da, da. i don't put a space in it won't recognize it um other ones which are need more effort to fix but can be fixed through scripting is um keyboard's got a caps lock on and the number has gone in as a symbol not the number um so there's lots of these things that that, that creep in what what do you find to be common ones and yeah and how does locate 
address it directly. Yeah, so I, I can talk a bit about how, how we've approached it and, and necessarily we'll talk about sort of locate services just for a second on, on that. So particularly when, when it comes to, to kind of the checkout typing piece, then we look at what are those likely human errors, those human imperfections. The space in a, in a postcode is a really good example. It's unforgivable that a site should require that space to be present or, or to require you to make a change. It's perfectly um, possible, and locate do this, that it can see that string of letters and characters and know what that is, even if it's not presented in, in the kind of the, the optimum way. Um, characters on a keyboard. So we would look at one of the one of the likely ways in which you could hit the wrong key because it's adjacent to the key that you should have hit. So you might have four characters that all kind of go together, but actually the first one you, you went above, below, next to, because you just have a bad typist. So thinking about those sort of error types, um, phonetically looking at a piece of information rather than um, necessarily expecting it to be typed or, or, or spelt entirely correctly. What are common spelling errors of a piece of, of address data? Uh, so again, those sort of natural imperfections. In the US, for instance, where it's very common to have directional data, so a street might, might well be you know, the west, east, north, south, uh, where that goes, um, you know, a piece of, of, of suite data, does that go after the street, before or after the premise number? Things are often in the wrong place. So we use our, our knowledge ahead of time to kind of predict the likely error types that might, might occur and then to, to remedy those systematically. Going forward, and maybe we'll come back to this at the end, um, we see really exciting opportunities using machine learning uh, to, to learn from those common human error types and to start to get better and better and better in the way that we expect with something like Google Search to remedy those, those, those errors when it comes to data input because there's enough that we can see to both look at point of origin, maybe location biasing of the device that's connecting to the, to the retailer site. There's lots of ways in which you can mop up sort of consumer imperfection and still produce you know, a, an accurate output just by thinking about those, those natural type of errors that get introduced into a process. But I find it a fascinating subject. Yeah, I do, because it has such a tangible impact on checkout performance and customer satisfaction. It is it's absolutely essential. So the way then in terms of the way that you set up your rules based, I'm assuming you, you just build up a library of rules on a country by country basis based on their specific data models. Um, and then also apply those. So if someone's in a checkout and they've chosen France, then the, the rules engine switches to the French logic and simply validates at that country level. Yes, that logic is there country by country. Um, and, and exactly as you described, uh, really, we know we've got 25 years of experience of, of, of predicting what those error input types are likely to be uh, and then constantly building that out. I think the, the, the transition to a machine learning approach is really exciting. Because inevitably, when it comes to writing rules of things that might happen, however long you do it for and however many people do it, you're not going to get everything. You're always going to miss certain error types. So the work that we're doing in our labs using data science and machine learning approach to understanding common error patterns and then predicting how to remedy those those error patterns, but then identifying all the ones that we haven't yet thought of, which a machine learning can do much more successfully than a person having to do that, you know, longhand. So over time, we expect to get to a point where 
many more of those kind of input errors are both predictable yeah. and then we can remedy those in real time at the point of, of address capture. Uh, another example I might offer is, is you know, when people use a combination of, of, uh, of, of input scripts. So you might type some element of an address using simplified Chinese or you know, Hellenic or Arabic or whatever else it might be, but then other parts of the address might get entered in, in, uh, in, in Latin characters. We see that a lot, or, or numerical. So it's having the logic to say, I, I can work out that this is, is presented to me in this script, got it? This is coming out in a different language or script, yes, but actually these items all belong together. So we can either keep it as it is, we can export them in a, in a, in a common uh, language format, uh, or we can revert to another one that's chosen. So there's, as we get kind of more into the technical side of this, there's a lot you can do behind the scenes to allow a consumer to feel that the way in which they want to share data is perfectly acceptable to you as a retailer, even if actually you're having to do a fair amount of work to, to kind of remedy it all in, in real time. Yeah, yeah, I understand. I, th- I think that's the key thing is, is don't force the consumer to change their behavior because you can normalize the data how you want it to be input into backend systems. Um, I think that's quite that's quite that's an interesting one to keep an eye on um, in the roadmap. Then um, there's one question I had I wanted to come back to around the data input in around so, and that's specifically around say um, address and postcode. Is some sites go down the the, the route of the um, the display as you type you, as you talked earlier. You start typing, and I know locate's not the only. Um, solution out there that's got this, yeah. start typing, it matches, you select and it auto-populates versus lookup where you enter like a house number and a postcode, hit the find, it then finds the matches, you then select um, from it. So I'd love to know what 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 have you at Locate learned from this? Does one perform better than the other in specific use cases? Um, is one always better than the other in terms of accuracy and impact? So in, so if we take the UK as an example, that's where we, we both are, I think. Um, it was always pretty much the standard that you you are somebody for their house number and their postcode. And if you took those two things, you could generally complete the address just with those those two items. So that was kind of a, maybe sort of type two of your scenarios, asking for more than one piece of data, hit go, and can you complete everything? Or you might have a site that just said, give us your postcode, and then you get a drop-down list of the dozen or so addresses that related to that postcode. And that was generally a customer experience that, that, that people were pretty happy with. That move towards a kind of a single line autocomplete um, meant that you just you just started typing and you you'd probably enter a, a similar number of keystrokes. But if there was other elements of your address, like a you know a vanity house name or a business that traded at an address, that would likely all be in the reference data and you'd find that more quickly using that type ahead approach. I think to your question, the way in which you accomplish the best customer experience will change place by place depending on the availability of reference data to search against and the uh, the, the, the address structures that you're you're dealing with. So it's it's quite common for us in some European countries to suggest that you maybe have two or, or three address lines and you just say to the customer, just enter as much or as little of the address as you want to. And, and, and people will be quite generous with that and they'll, they'll type a few bits and pieces in. And then behind the scenes, we've got a version of Locate that will look at that, determine what we think it is, what's missing, fill in the gaps, and then present back a full address to the customer. That's particularly important where 
you maybe don't have a lot of, of premise data in the reference files or even a lot of street data. You want to capture what the customer knows, but then infill all the bits that you know from, from, from the systems of record. So I, I think the, the answer to the question is there's, there's a combination of approaches. Um, one of our customers, which is one of the world's largest sportswear uh, manufacturers and brands, actually use a combination of the two. So when you're checking out and buying some trainers, um, they'll just get you to use the locate single entry field, autocomplete. So it's nice and easy. It's a great customer experience uh, and, and speeds up the checkout. As soon as you've completed the transaction, it then takes that address block, passes it through our kind of back-end remediation engine for a second wash and uses that as part of the, the fraud checks and all the other checks it does before it actually uh, fulfills the order. So I mean, we've seen some examples of that where sort of both the, the rapid entry plus the now let's just make sure that everything is as it should be is, is, is being used both pre and post checkout. But I think the decisions will be, what's the availability of reference data? How granular is it? What's the best customer experience? Is it type ahead or is it just type your address in and then we'll do that cleanup uh, kind of in real time, but after the event. Uh, and, and the nice thing about the locate offer, and you're right, there are other offers in, in, in the market, is that we our customers have the freedom to, to pick one or the other or kind of a hybrid of the two. So uh, and that flexibility is... Sorry, uh, devil's advocate. If you're an e-commerce manager, you personally know what you know today and it's you're a site only selling to UK... Would you go autocomplete or enter a couple of bits of address and look it up if it was your site? Yeah, I would go autocomplete. Um, I, I think it's it's more consistent with with consumer expectation and behaviour outside of whether you're entering an address or something else. I think that the, what we're commonly expecting to do now, if, if any digital experience is saying, give me some information, I just expect to be able to enter that freehand. So... I yeah. think that it's, it's it's keeping pace, in my opinion, with with online consumer behaviour, as opposed to necessarily what the optimum way of doing it is. I think there's the the truth is probably somewhere in between. Yeah, I agree, and um, I think provided the the UX is handled um, correctly when the front end's built out, then on mobile it can add a, an advantage of having a single field and speeding up the the, the form completion. Um, the question I've got related to this. Um, does does browser autofill have any I impact or issue on, on things like auto suggest where someone's on the device and it automatically put, suggests something and maybe that's not 100% accurate and it gets input into a field or does the field just automatically just take what's input and then clean it even if it's been autofilled? So if it's, yeah, autocomplete field and the browser attempts to fill that, obviously you, you can bypass the, 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 the yes. autofill. Um, if if you don't, then it's yeah, it's going to take that the autofill input and then take that and pass it through the the addressing service. So it will still it will still it's just say okay, well you give me everything by the looks of things. Can I still match that against something which sits in the underlying reference data? Um, if 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 a if a retailer wants to allow browser based auto complete or auto infill. They can always elect to not do address verification pre-transaction, but they can just take the, the input address and they can, as I described a moment ago, they could just do a, 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 a kind of a post-transaction cleanse using that kind of automated approach of, of parsing an address and, and, and matching it against the reference data. So there, there, there's options. And, and, and clearly, many consumers like um, auto-completing of fields because it saves them time and, and that's what they're 
often their priorities are. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's brilliant. That That's come to the end of all the key questions I was asked today. I think that's been really, really interesting because some good insights. Um, really enjoyed the conversation today, Matt. Thanks very much for, for coming on the podcast. Hey, listen, I could do this all day. Thanks so much for having me and uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, James. It's very dangerous saying you could do it all day. I've only got, I've got another eight hours. Fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah, no, really, really appreciate. And, and thanks to everyone, uh, um, as always, for, for listening in. You know, we do appreciate you uh, listening to the podcast. Keep an ear open for next episodes. Let us know of any topics you'd love to cover. And do subscribe if you haven't already. You know, we'd love a rating on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Helps our visibility and it encourages us to keep on producing all this amazing free content for you. So part, parting comment now is just, Matt, if anybody wants to learn more about Locate or has got specific questions about, I've got this challenge, how can I use technology to help me? How do they reach out? Who do they reach out to? Well, if they visit locate.com, it's locate with a Q. Um, the thing I would point you towards if you do that is we've got our recent uh, report on the on the future of the checkout. Uh, a, report from a couple of months ago on how to fix failed deliveries and you can register for some really interesting stuff that's coming out on some data science and consumer behavior in the next couple of months so locate.com we'd love to hear from you wonderful thanks very much have a great day everyone thank you for more information on this topic head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts to discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.